Some of you are probably making New Year's resolutions, I would assume. Uh, I'm told, I read, and I hear that there are more resolutions this year about mental health than there have ever been. People wanting to try to get the stress out of their lives and all that. And yet, New Year's resolutions are pretty predictable. One article I was reading this week by Jamie Ballard listed, based on a survey of the American people, what the top resolutions are. And as you could guess, exercising more is right at the top of the list. Of those making New Year's resolutions, a full 50% say, I want to do more physical exercising. Right behind that at 49% are people saying, I want to save more money in this year. And then at 43%, I want to have more healthy eating patterns. And then losing weight was the next one. 37% of the people making resolutions said, I want to lose weight in the new year. And then at 34% was reducing the anxiety in my life. I think those are great resolutions. I applaud all of you who are making these kind of resolutions or any number of others. But sadly, most of us don't follow through. As the guys said last week, only 8% on average actually follow through with a New Year's resolution. And by the way, if you haven't listened to last week's message from our campus pastors, I mean, it was awesome, so practical, so applicable to life. I strongly urge you uh, to do that. But I'm gonna recommend a resolution for every true Christ follower today, but I wanna warn you, it's more like a revolution than a resolution. And if if you're not sick and tired of measly little New Year's resolutions that don't amount to anything, if you're not utterly sick of that, then this may not be for you. If you just want to go through the motions of the routine of resolutions, then I would say this is probably not for you. But, but, if you want 2020 to be different, radically different from all the other years, hear me, this resolution is for you. So let's explore it together. In John's gospel, if you have a Bible, you might want to take that out right now. John's gospel chapter three, we get a glimpse into the early ministry of Jesus. The crowds are curious and they're growing. People are coming out wanting to know what this new rabbi Jesus is teaching and what his ministry is really all about. And we read here, John's Gospel, chapter three, in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also, this is John the Baptist, okay, the John it's referring to, was also baptizing at Anan near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. So get the picture. You've got these two popular rabbis, John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus, both of them are preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. Both of them are challenging people to examine their lives 
and to be baptized in water as a way to demonstrate that they are repentant for their sins. And they're doing this geographically in an area that's close together. And John's disciples look over toward Jesus and they go, wow, he's becoming really popular. Everybody seems to be excited about Jesus and this new teaching about the kingdom that he's bringing. And naturally, they become jealous. And so they come back and give a report to their leader, John the Baptist. I'm going to read here in verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. They're basically saying, John, listen, he has more Instagram followers right now than you, okay? His lines of people waiting to be baptized and prayed over are longer than our lines. You just need to understand that. His Twitter account is completely blowing up right now. He is a bigger deal than you. And we see in John's response to their report the essence, I think, of his greatness. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. And I love verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less. A part of the brilliance of John the Baptist is that he understood his role in the story. And by the way, I could ask right now, do we understand ours? I think a part of our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our getting a sense of sort of what our destiny is in life is to understand the role, the calling, the vocation God has called us to. And so John understands I'm not the hero in this story. He is. I'm simply here to glorify him and draw attention to him. And I like what verse 30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. I love the King James, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the purpose of his life. More of Jesus, less of me. Listen, it's not a 50-50 proposal. It's like Jesus gets half the glory, I get half of it. Some of the credit goes to him and, and, and I get my full share as well. It's not a 70-30 deal. The whole purpose for John's being was to point to, to preach about, to give honor and credit and glory to Jesus Christ. I wonder what it would look like if we started this new year, 2021, with that kind of radical resolution. More of Jesus, less of me. Would you be willing to pray that kind of prayer in the start of this new year? More of Jesus, 
less of me. Now, I want to tell you, it's more than a resolution. That is a radical, earth-shaking revolution that would change the way you and I live. Now, as a pastor, here's what I know about most people. And I base this literally, no exaggeration, on thousands of conversations through the decades. Here's what I know about people. Not everyone, but most people. Most people are disappointed in themselves. They really are. Now, again, I say not everyone. Some of you are not disappointed in yourself. You think that you hung the moon, and God bless you. I hope you get over that, okay? But most of us are a bit disappointed in ourselves. As we look back on 2020, we've got certain regrets. We wish we had done more of this and less of that. You remember the resolutions that I started with based on that survey of the American people? They, sit, they tend to cluster around this idea of more of this and less of that, more exercising, more savings, less bad eating patterns, less anxiety, and so forth. Now, I'm a fan of resolutions. I make them myself almost every year. But what we really need are not resolutions. We need a revolution, something that is so huge, it would impact all these other specific areas of our lives. And I'm suggesting that this one, more of Jesus, less of me, would be one that we could all adopt. That was John's purpose in life, and it can be ours as well. So think about it. Let's get really personal. If you prayed that prayer in this new year, how would it impact that critical spirit that you often have? How would it impact the way you pray? How would it impact your marriage that may be struggling right now if you prayed more of Jesus, less of me? How would it affect your approach to entertainment and leisure and the way you use your time day by day, week after week? How would that prayer, more of Jesus, less of me, how would that affect the way you handle the resources that God has entrusted to you? How would it impact the way you related to your coworkers in the workplace, in the marketplace? How would it impact the way you relate and your attitude toward people, especially those people who are a bit different from you? I believe it would be revolutionary. But let's be clear on one thing. This was not some little slick slogan for John. I mean, this is the way he lived day after day, more of Jesus, less of me. When they come to tell him, hey, Jesus is baptizing more than you, he celebrates that. How can he do that? Because he knows life is not about him. Now, th this does not mean that John was a loser, that he walked around, slumped shoulder, couldn't even lift his eyes up and look at anybody. He was just mopey and dull. It doesn't mean that at all. John was a dynamic person. In fact, Jesus gave a commendation of John that I think is stellar. I, I remember it by the text, the reference, Matthew eleven eleven. Get a load of this. I, I, two 11s, that's how I remember this. And it, it's the most glowing commendation of anyone ever made. Here's what Jesus said. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, 
I think that's everybody, right? Nobody just appeared. So everybody was born of a woman at some point, right? Among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. How would you like that on your resume? Hey, you're listing all these you know, glowing things that you've accomplished, you know, then all the thing, awards you've won, all the commendations you've received, you put references on there, and, and then you just kind of throw in, by the way, Jesus Christ, the Lord said, I'm the greatest. <laughs> Woo! I mean, that's a smoking resume right there. That, that turns heads, that gets attention. Make no mistake, John is not a loser. He's impacted thousands of people in the spiritual world. He is a mover, shaker. He's a giant. But he understands his role, who he is and who he's not. What some Jewish leaders, kind of funny, in Jerusalem, they, they're trying to figure John out. And so they sent some, some priests to, to go question him. I, I think this is Hilarious. I'm reading now from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 21. They ask him, then who are you? They're trying to get his brand. They, they want to know, what's your shtick here? What, what, what makes you tick, man? What, what is your whole deal about? Who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And finally, they said, they're really boring in. Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice, which has inspired a TV show that has got millions of viewers, by the way. Just kidding. I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Isn't that spectacular? Hey, man, who are you? We want to understand you. John goes, look, that's not important. I, who am I? Just a voice. I'm a voice. That's what I've been called to do, to, to, to speak about and to point people to the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's who I am. And just a few verses later, verse 29, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and suddenly all heads turn from him to Jesus. I wonder how he felt in that moment. I wonder if there was a pit, maybe a moment of panic in in John's stomach when he thought to himself, now wait a minute, do I really believe this? I mean, I've built this ministry with sweat and toil from the ground up and now it's diminishing and everybody's turning to Jesus. I wonder if he felt any resentment. I don't know, but I believe he felt the greatest moment of satisfaction in his entire life because he was seeing the realization of his whole purpose. Jesus gets the glory, not me, and that's why I've been doing this in the first place. So would you be willing, would I be willing to, to pray that kind of radical prayer, to adopt that kind of revolutionary stance in this new year, more of Jesus, less of me? I wanna tell you, folks, you better not give a quick nod to that. Because I want to tell you, I, th I think this is hard. 
In fact, you, you may think this is an outrageous claim, but I believe we may be the most narcissistic generation that's ever lived on the planet. Am I being too harsh? Maybe. Time Magazine Time Magazine had the audacity sometime back to plaster across its front page. It called the generation the me, me, me generation. And if you choose to, you can drive yourselves nuts reading blogs and articles and all kinds of posts about who is the most selfish generation. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Some will say it's the millennials. Others claim no Gen Z is even more selfish. But I would say that every generation, starting from the boomers right on down to the present, has a legitimate claim for that title, most selfish generation. I think as Americans, we're eaten up with this, just being brutally honest. For most of us Americans, the most individualistic culture that's ever lived, it's about me, it's about my potential, my dreams, my pleasure, my fun. That's the way we live. We don't know how to live any other way. So to pray more of Jesus, less of me, man, that's, that's radical. I think it's hard because maybe more than any other generation, it's hard us to get the focus off of ourselves. So, so how did John do it? How, how would any one of us do something that seems virtually impossible to do? I believe the clue to John's greatness is found in a little statement that Gabriel made back when John's birth was first announced. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, just a quick little background here. There was a man named Zechariah, a priest, who was getting pretty old, his wife, Elizabeth, they had had no children, but they desperately wanted a child, so they prayed for one, and God heard their prayer, and so Gabriel, the angel, comes to Zechariah, and he says, God has heard your prayer, Zechariah, and your wife, Elizabeth, is going to be pregnant, and she will bear a son, and listen to what Gabriel says in Luke 1, verse 15. It says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be, and here's the key, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. I'm suggesting to you that the key to living consistently, this revolutionary declaration, more of Jesus, less of me, is that we must continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've been around church circles long enough to know that when I mention the Holy Spirit, some of you get really, really excited. <sighs> Finally, we're gonna really get in. And I've been around church circles long enough to know that when I mention the Holy Spirit, some of you get very, very nervous. So let me do a little quick kind of crash course here in the Holy Spirit, not assuming any previous knowledge or anything. Let's get really practical and talk about what it would look like to be living this more of Jesus, less of me kind of life as we go down the home stretch here. First of all, let's begin with this. You gotta begin here. The Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who truly comes to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. You gotta begin right there. I mean, that's what 
the Apostle Peter said in the very first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when God began a whole new era, a whole new covenant, a whole new way. Here's what Peter said. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what will happen? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I've been asked in the past, what is the clearest, most unmistakable sign that a person is a true follower of Jesus Christ? My answer is simple. They're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you're not indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you're not a true follower of Christ. If you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that is the unmistakable sign that you are a true Christian, a true follower, because the Spirit indwells every true believer. In fact, the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians, who, by the way, were the most selfish, narcissistic, immature, messed up, dysfunctional Christians that he ever wrote to, and he reminds them in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Wait a minute, even Holy Spirit's an immature, dysfunctional, chaotic, messed up, true Christians? Yes. This has nothing to do with maturity or immaturity. It makes no difference. The Holy Spirit resides in you. If you're a true follower, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet, Christians are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, here it is, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the Greek language used there is in the present tense. It means continuous action in the present. In other words, this is not a one-and-done deal. It's not, oh, hey, pastor, I knelt at an altar once, and people laid hands on me and prayed on, over me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, you know, I felt really different. Wonderful. Praise God. What about right now? It's not a one-and-done deal. It is a continuous action in the present. That's literally what the Greek language there means. Now, I could stop here and spend literally hours unpacking this, but let's stay right on point. Let's talk about what it would look like if we lived a life in 2021 filled with the Spirit, more of Jesus, less of me, if we made that radical kind of declaration for this new year. It does not mean that you can have more of the Spirit or less of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a personal being. You either have him in your life or you don't have him in your life. So the word filled is confusing to a lot of people. When we hear the word filled, we think of, hey, could you top me off, Lord, with the Holy Spirit? I've gotten a little low here, you know, like topping off your cup of coffee or stopping at the gas station and topping off your gas tank with gasoline. That, that, that's not what it means. You can't get more or less. He's in you or he's not. And he's promised, again, to reside in every true Christ follower. So what does it mean? So what exactly does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit if we're commanded to do it? What does it mean? 
I believe the key to understanding the filling of the Holy Spirit is in that contrast that Paul set up there in verse 18. You remember, he contrasted being filled with the Spirit with being drunk on wine. That's the contrast he makes. So when a person is drunk, what does it mean? It means that the alcohol in their system is dominating their personality and determining their behavior. That's what it means to be drunk. That's drunkenness. Alcohol is dominating their personality and determining their behavior. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is so in control, in such influence in your life, that it dominates your personality and determines your behavior. How can you know when a person is drunk? Well, outside of testing the alcohol, blood alcohol content, there are three more practical, experiential, anecdotal ways that you can know that a person is drunk. You know what they are. By the way they walk, by the way they talk, and by the way they smell, right? Alcohol has a distinctive smell. You know when someone reeks of alcohol in drunkenness. And how do you know when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? Same way. Three dead giveaways by the way they walk, the way they talk, and the way they smell. So if we're gonna live a more of Jesus, less of me kind of life in 2021, it has to come down to this, friends, the way we walk, the way we talk, and the way we smell. So let's unpack that for the few minutes we have remaining. I'll call this three sure signs a person is living under the influence. First of all, it's gonna show up in the way we walk. Do you know the Bible says a lot about the way we walk? Well, we, 95 times that Greek word peripateo, which means walk, 95 times it's used. First John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Ephesians 5, 2 says we are to walk in love. Galatians 5, 16 says we are to walk in the spirit. Now, we could go on and on. Again, 95 times that appears. The word peripateo literally means to walk around, but most modern translations don't translate it walk. They translate it live, because that's what it really is talking about. It's talking about our lifestyle. And so that's a, a reasonable translation in most cases. And a person who is living in step with and walking in step with the Spirit is one who is authentic, who has integrity in every facet of their lives. And you can tell a person is Spirit-filled by the way they walk. But second, you can tell it by the way we talk. Listen, something happens to your mouth when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just true. It's all over the Bible. I mean, just take Acts 4.31 as an example. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled, there's your word, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. 
right after the verse we looked at, Ephesians 5.18. You know what comes next? Ephesians 5.19. Yes, you heard it right here, gang. I know that's revelatory. But after Ephesians 5.18 comes Ephesians 5.19. And do you know what the very first word is in Ephesians 5.19? Speak. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak. And it says there to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And you can know what's going on in a person's soul, in their heart, if you hang around them long enough and listen to how they talk. Because the mouth is a thermometer of the heart. It tells us what's going on inside. Now, yes, people can fake it for a while. You can say the right thing in the right context for a while, but if you hang around a person long enough and see them as they really are and watch what they post on social media and listen to what they gossip and say when they think no one is hearing, you get an understanding of what their soul is really all about. The Holy Spirit impacts the way we walk, the way we talk. And finally, it impacts the way we smell. Now, some of you may think I'm just joking here or making some kind of foolish joke. Bible doesn't say anything about smell. Come on. Actually, it does, believe it or not. I mean, consider what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is an amazing passage. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the, here it is, the fragrance, the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma, there it is, the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Can I put it to you crudely? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you smell of Jesus. To God the Father, he says we're the aroma of Christ. But to those who are perishing, we stink. He says, it's like, get away. Oh, I don't want your values. I don't want your Jesus. That is repulsive to me. That stinks to me. But he says to those who are being saved, whoo, it is so pleasant. I mean, it's like the best perfume you've ever smelled in your life. It is so attractive. It is wonderful. There is a fragrance, metaphorically speaking, about a real Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met a person like that? Have you ever met one of that? Boy, I have. It, you, you see someone, maybe you've never met them in your life, but you watch them for a few moments, and there's something about their countenance. There's something about the way they're responding. There's something about them, and you go, I'll bet she's a Christian. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who she, but I'll bet. I'll bet she's a Christian. And then you find out, absolutely. That's the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ. And as a Christ follower, you just love to be around those people where there's just the fragrance of life in them. So I would suggest that your prayer in 2021, every single day, needs to be more of Jesus, less of me. Your walk will be different. Your talk will be different. 
and the aroma. There will be an atmosphere around you that will be so attractive, it'll literally draw people to Jesus rather than repel them. And I would urge you out throughout 2021 <laughs> to pray that the Spirit would fill you every single day. And I mean every day. It's continuous. It's not one and done. You may think this is radical, but I would urge you to pray it for your children. I would urge you to kneel beside the bed of your children and pray, oh God, would you fill my son, my daughter, with the Holy Spirit. I would urge you to pray it for your spouse. You might literally just want to reach over and say, put your hand on their shoulder and say, Lord, would you fill my wife with your Holy Spirit? Reach, would you fill my husband with your Holy Spirit today? You see, I believe that left to ourselves, 2021 is not going to be much different than 2020. But if we're living under the influence, more of Jesus, less of me, I think God will do what God alone can do. And that will lead to one awesome year. Father, would you fill us with your spirit this moment? Let it impact the way we walk, the way we talk, and the way we smell. That aroma, that fragrance of life, may it be all around us. May it be obvious that we've been with Jesus. Father, I pray all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.